It's the show the establishment warned you about. Welcome back. It's the Dr. Tommy Show Friday edition. Glad you're here. Programming note will be out of the state of Florida, the free state of Florida, where we broadcast from next week, visiting the Grand Canyon and Sin City, Las Vegas. Broadcasting from the free state of Florida from Echelon Health Studios. We're glad you're here. Dark day in history yesterday. They indicted President Trump on bogus charges, most likely, of classified documents handling. And the reason I say bogus is because it's done by most every president, according to the experts. Also, we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the uh, Tucker Carlson uh, new show on Twitter. We'll, We'll play some of the clips from that. And then also talk a little bit about Biden and his document. I'm sorry, not his document, his bribery problem with his document that they found. Well, that they dredged up after a whistleblower and talk about some of the hypocrisy there. And then some also some exciting new uh, studies from the University of Maryland uh, where they're going to remove whiteness from LGBTQ plus studies. We'll go over some of those things and play some clips from uh, Joe Biden's greatest hits. But anyway, so yesterday Donald Trump was indicted on this classified documents problem that he's been having with Mar-a-Lago. And they said he took all these classified documents and, and uh, that he was going to uh, he's going to share them with people who shouldn't see them. And that's what they indicted him under, apparently, is this not the fact that he took classified documents because he's as the president was able to declassify documents and he had declassified documents. But they said that he uh, apparently he willfully was trying to share them and they're going to show that he tried to share those with people who shouldn't have seen them. Uh, this, this scenario where we're indicting presidents now who are of the opposition party is straight from the playbook of every banana Republic that's ever existed, uh, to the present day. And it has shown us that we are indeed in a state of banana Republic. Basically, uh, we are post-constitutional Republic. We're no longer following the constitution as it was written, uh, nor as it was intended, only in certain instances do we give some type of uh, piecemeal acknowledgement that there is a constitution. But overall, overall, the way we govern ourselves, the way we go about doing our business on a daily basis, whether it be spending money through Congress, whether it be conducting wars through proxies like Ukraine, whether it be um, banning people from uh, gathering at their house on Thanksgiving uh, or forcing people to take man- um experimental vaccines that aren't vaccines. All that stuff is not part of a constitutional Republic. All that's part of a banana Republic or totalitarian society. And so it's not surprising now that we've, we've made this next step now where we're indicting a former president. And this is following on the heels of the, uh, of the uh, civil suit where uh, Trump was alleged to have raped this author, Eugene Carroll, uh, some 20 something years ago on, on a date. Well, she really can't remember um, much like the um, uh, Blasey Ford couldn't remember when uh, Kavanaugh raped her or was taking part in the rape parties that Kavanaugh was conducting apparently when he was a kid. So this is following on the tails of that. And then it's going to also follow on the um, heels of another indictment that's sure to come down when he gets indicted for whatever he did in Georgia that was not not on the level. And then also he's going to get indicted on uh, probably January 6th inciting. A, that's going to be the that's going to be the they're probably making it as a crescendo. It's building and building and building. And then 
they're going to get him on the thing with uh, with the uh, January 6th. And they're going to say he, he tried to do an insurrection. And it doesn't matter if he gets indicted and if he gets convicted or not, because the indictment is the punishment. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, you know, it's lawfare where they use the law to punish their enemies. And it doesn't matter if it's like, if you settle, it's like when doctors get sued, uh, getting sued is the punishment and whether or not that ever goes to trial. These, most of these cases that are involved with medical malpractice, for instance, never go to trial. Uh, they, they just settle because people are just, they can't, they can't go to trial. I mean, sorry, they can't go to all these legal things and do their business as a doctor. So they have to settle or their insurance company settles is usually what happens because the insurance company has, you know, mathematicians on staff that says, you know, if we go to trial, we have this chance of winning or losing and might as well just settle. And then you settle and they say now that, you know, you as a doctor, you've had some type of malpractice on your, uh, on your record because you settled. But anyway, that's what they've done with Trump now. And they're going to just bury him down with these indictments. And he, he also had the indictment for the, uh, uh, the, uh, the payment to stormy Daniels hush money payment. That was not on the level. So we'll see more and more of this coming over. And it's going to, like I said, it's going to build up as a crescendo and what's going to happen with Donald Trump. We don't know. And it's, it's, and it's really a sad thing. It's not necessarily sad only because of Donald Trump. It's It would be sad if it happened to anybody, especially, you know, a former president. But what's really sad is that the double standard that we have, this two-faced justice system that we have, where we have Joe Biden, who by all estimations, as far as we can tell, has done illegal things uh, with his son uh, taking payments. He's the big guy. He gets a 10% cut. You know, they said 10% held for the big guy by H. I mean, it, it couldn't be any more clear what's going on. But what we've had now is a complete and utter disregard for anything that Joe Biden has done, much like we did with Hillary Clinton. You know, at least, at least, uh, was as Comey, the, uh, the uh, very uh, astute prosecutor slash FBI uh head FBI guy said that, you know, no reasonable prosecutor would bring this. So he as a law enforcement officer took it upon himself to do the job of the prosecutor and say, look, we're not going to bring charges. We're not going to charge her with anything because no prosecutor would prosecute her, which is a, not really what you're supposed to do when you're in the law enforcement arena. You're supposed to just bring charges and let the attorney decide. But either way, so Hillary Clinton didn't face anything for her classified documents that were stored on a server. She didn't face any repercussions for that. She didn't face any repercussions uh, for anything to do with Benghazi. That's way beyond the pale. And, and Joe Biden, like himself, he hasn't faced any repercussions. And so we have Joe Biden, you know, he's telling the story here in his old grandpa fashion. This was back in, I think it was 20, 2019. Or no, it was earlier than that. This was, uh, when was this? This was two years ago. This is when Joe Biden was talking to the uh, people over at the Council on Foreign Relations before he was running for president. Anyway, this is him talking about when he was when he was uh, uh, doing some things that were untoward as far as the laws is regarding uh, payments. Uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. 
So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." He's a tough guy. He's no. Call him, just like he said with corn pop dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. There he goes. So exactly what he said happened, happened. Now, what he didn't say was the reason the prosecutor was getting fired had to do with his son's dealings with Burisma. And here it is. This is from Marjorie Taylor Gwynn. This is uh, Green. This is from Conservative Brief. It says, MTG shares major update after reviewing Biden bribery document. It says Georgia Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene announced on Thursday afternoon she had reviewed the unclassified FD 1023 FBI form, alleging that then Vice President Joe Biden was involved in a bribery pay to play scheme. Now, this is the form that they had in the FBI that a whistleblower came forward and told Representative Comer about and Representative Comer had to go through all types of legal and other uh, avenues to try to get this, um, including up into up into including uh, threatening to hold the FBI director Ray in contempt of Congress for failing to produce this document. Finally, they said we'll produce the document. You have to go to the skiff to see it. So, so Marjorie Taylor Green went to the skiff. This sensified sensitive compartmented information facility. And she told, she told reporters that document was quote, very credible and the allegations against Biden are quote, nothing short of deeply troubling. And here's so here's her, here's her rendition of what happened. So back in 2015, 2016, Burisma was looking to buy a U.S. based oil and gas company. And this came from being advised by Hunter Biden and his partners. Biden said Shokin, Victor Shokin was corrupt. This was the uh, prosecutor. This was about the time, this was around the time of the meeting when, when, when Joe Biden was vice president, said that prosecutor Shokin was corrupt. So she continues, they hired Hunter on the board to make the problems go away. That's what they specifically said. Hunter advised them that they could raise more money if they bought a U.S. company. And that's why they were being investigated by this prosecutor Shokin. The informant was advising them, don't go this route. Why would you buy another U.S. company when you're under, under under investigation? That's not a good idea. He also said he paid five million to one Biden and five million to another Biden. It was all a bribery to get Shokin fired and end the investigation into Brisma. And it says a whistleblower reportedly provided evidence alleging that Biden was involved in corrupt pay-for-play schemes as vice president. The source has been frequently used by the FBI since the Obama administration as is deemed as quote highly credible. So that's that's what he's talking about here. So here's here's what he continues to say. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. Well, there's still they so they made. So that was his his explanation about why he did what he did was that there was somebody that needed to be put in place that was solid. But he never said why that person was not solid. And we know that part of the reason why is because he didn't he didn't play. Uh, he wanted to investigate uh, Hunter Biden, his son. And you can see in this clip there when this guy's talking, this guy on the other end is kind of looking like he's a little bit worried that maybe Biden shouldn't be saying what he's saying. There's two convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev and uh, 
and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." Guy. I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours." So he's such a if tough guy. If the prosecutor's guy. not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, see, that's the way that people do business, but they don't say it. Biden's mind was slipping at this point. He wasn't supposed to say this. He wasn't supposed to come out in the open and say this. But he's kind of at his top of his game. Biden was never a smart person. He was never uh, going to be head of the class. He was never going to be the guy. He was never going to be president, for instance. But here he is. He's he's a little bit older now. He's slipping and he's in there with these friendlies. He's in the Council on Foreign Relations. And he's he's spinning these yarns and he kind of lets the cat out of the bag. Well, son of a bitch <laughs> got fired and they put in place someone see, who was see this guy here. He's touching his arm. This guy, this guy here on the left. If you're not, if you don't see the video, this guy's thinking, oh, Jesus, what did he just say? And this other guy, you could tell he looks like he's he's constipated. He's thinking, oh, boy, this is going to come back to bite us. Solid at the time. Well, it's like grandpa's they, telling so you a story made- about when he was young and doing something he wasn't supposed to do. And you're like, grandpa, grandpa, don't say that. You're, you're you know, in front of all these kids and everything. But you don't say here's Joe Biden. This is Joe Biden. Like I said, at the best of times, Joe Biden was not a smart man. This is from the Clarence Thomas documentary about Joe Biden and how Joe Biden was interacting with Clarence Thomas when Clarence Thomas was being confirmed uh, for Supreme Court in 1990. Senator Biden was very focused on natural law. How did that go? Who knows? I, I have no idea what he was talking about. I just want to make sure we all know what we're talking about here, that you and I know at least what we're talking about here. There's a fervent and aggressive school of thought that wishes to see natural law further inform the Constitution than it does now, argued against by the positivist led by Judge Bork. Now, again, that may be lost on all the people. But not you and I. You know and I know mm-hmm. what we're talking about. You and I. I have to be perfectly honest with you. I, you sit there and you have no idea what they are talking about. All I know is that he was asking me these questions about natural law. Someone may apply it in a way, like Moore, who leads him in a direction that is, quote, liberal. You may apply it in a way that leads you in a direction that's conservative. Or you may, like many argue, not apply it at all. But it is a fundamental question that is going to be almost impossible for non-lawyers to grasp in an exchange. But you know... Almost impossible for anybody but Joe Biden and Clarence Thomas to understand because they're on the same level. And I know... It is a big, big deal, and in conclusion... One of the things you do in hearings is you have to sit there and look attentively at people you know have no idea what they're talking about. There you go. Joe Biden's greatest hit. So about his greatest, he wasn't that smart. But here he let the cat out of the bag about that uh, payment or that lack of payment that he was he was withholding from Ukraine if they didn't fire Shokin, and they did fire Shokin. 
says back to the article, the outlet noted further that House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and GOP Senator Chuck Grass of Iowa were recently contracted, contacted by a whistleblower who made a claim that FBI possessed a document known as FD-1023 dated from June 2020 that allegedly contains explicit information provided by a confidential human source. According to the source, the document outlines allegations that during his time as president, Biden was involved in a criminal bribery scam amounting to $5 million. The scheme purportedly involved a foreign national and aimed to secure influence over policy decisions. Uh, So this has never been, as far as we know, this has never been investigated. So the FBI has this document and then they sat on it and they just sat on it. And we, Presumably, this is what was happening because nothing's. We have no nothing about it. We do know what the FBI was doing at the same time was they were uh, trying to take out Donald Trump. But this is that part of that two faced justice system. I was getting to the the beginning of this is that they have indicted Trump now. They're going to continue to indict him. They're going to continue to indict him. Biden is going to go to his grave most likely, not having ever faced any type of justice at all because. He is a member of the swamp. He is part of the swamp. He is part of, to be more accurate, the the uh, the, the left. He's a, he's a member of the uh, administration of the left. The left controls everything in Washington, D.C. The left controls, as we talked about before, all of the levers of power in finance and banking and entertainment and even sports now. And because he is a good member of the left, nothing's ever going to happen to him. This kind of thing is what, cannot sustain a society long-term because there has to be rule of law. The people have to believe that they are being at least ruled in a fair fashion. If, if they're going to, if there's going to be any type of um, ability to have law enforcement that is respected law enforcement, legal, legal proceedings where there's any type of uh, any type of just belief that you had a fair shake you have to have you have to have evidence of that, and there's no evidence of that, at least on the national level, that there is any fairness of the law, and that's going to trickle down. You know, you may say, well, that's just Donald Trump right now, but it isn't just Donald Trump. It's everybody who's in the January six rioting, uh, who who was involved in the quote unquote January six riot, including those people who just walked into the the Capitol, didn't riot didn't attack anybody, didn't do anything. They just walked into the Capitol. They're all thrown in together as insurrectionists. And who is not? Every one of the George Floyd rioters. They are called patriots because what are they doing? They're, they are uh, expressing their displeasure with the racist, racist society, with the rotten America, whatever you have. And so when people see that, they can see it getting closer and closer to them. It's trickling down, like I said. And... After enough time, your institutions lose their authority. There's no governing authority. And at that time, there's a couple of things that can happen. Either the institutions will crumble or those institutions will just exert more and more power and force you into obedience. So this is what happens in these tyrannical states, you know, in totalitarian Soviet Union, China, North Korea. People know that there's no... Uh, fair application of law, but there's nothing they can do about it because at that point, the institutions have amassed so much strength and power and the individual is so weakened that there's nothing they can do about it. So at that point they've lost. And that's why I said, we're no longer in a constitutional Republic. 
we are marching quickly, rather quickly, towards a tyrannical uh, institution like the Soviet Union or China is a better example, probably. We leads us into this thing about ESG. So this is from this is from Anheuser Busch executive. This is from the Blaze over the weekend. I saw this. It says here. Anheuser-Busch exec explains how investment firms push woke agendas. Woke agendas have cost Anheuser-Busch and target billions in market value. However, major corporations are being pressured to push progressive causes by powerful investment firms, according to an ex-Anheuser-Busch executive. It says here, uh, dominant investment firms are strong-arming companies to promote progressive values despite alienating large swaths of their consumer base, says Anson Fredericks former president of Anheuser-Busch sales and distribution. You just have to follow the money, Frederick said. Friedrichs, Friedrichs said during an appearance on Jesse Waters. You have to take a look at BlackRock, State, State Street, Vanguard. They manage $20 trillion worth of capital. So those are the big three. And it says here, uh, Frederick, Fredericks notes that these impactful investment firms massive manage massive pension funds. And here's the key such as the state California, the state of California's pension fund, the largest in the country. Free Ricks says that the California politicians wield influence on which companies they invest, these firms invest in. In California, for example, they have recently mandated those large pension funds divest from things like fossil fuels, oil, and gas. And when Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York, was there, he did the same thing. Free Ricks added they also tell BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard if they're going to manage their money, they have to commit to things like ESG, diversity, equity, inclusion, and adopt firm-wide commitments that they fear, therefore force onto all the companies in corporate America. Freyrex said he left Anheuser-Busch because large companies began gauging politics and telling customers, quote, how to live their lives. He pointed to Georgia legislators passing election integrity laws, then BlackRock, Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, and MLB publicly opposing the law that they didn't that didn't directly affect them. So basically what he's saying is, is these big investment firms manage these large pensions and the people who run the pensions, these states are left. And they say, unless you start adopting leftist policies, you, you, you invest in leftist companies, or you force the companies that you invest in to adopt more leftist type of uh, policies or, or whatever, then we won't we won't give you our money, and so that's how BlackRock, which you think of, well, that's just some financial firm. Why do they, why do they care about being woke? That's why they're woke, because the people that run the pension funds that give them the money, a large part of their money, are woke, and so you have this trickle down situation again, where the uh, state that controls California pension fund, for instance, people there are woke, they're crazy. They want to have a uh, drag queen story hours. They want to have abortion up to the ninth month. They want to have uh, they want to have free open borders. They want to have uh, racial discrimination against white people. This is the thing that they want. So they say to BlackRock, "Listen, we want this, and you better force the companies that you invest money in to start adopting these policies." And so Target starts saying, "Well, we're going to start having tuck friendly uh, bathing suits for children." And we're going to, uh, we're, and then uh, Anheuser Busch says, "Well, we're going to, we're going to pretend like this man is a woman, and then uh, give her a Anheuser Busch can with her face on it, his face on it." So this is the things that happen, and you say, "Well, how does that happen?" That's how it happens. These legislators 
control the money that goes to these companies. And these companies just say, okay, we'll do whatever you want. It says, Freericks warned that BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, known as the Big Three, are proponents of what's called stakeholder capitalism, which is a belief that businesses should not should be run not only to increase value to shareholders. That's what that's what businesses are supposed to do. Make money for the shareholders. That's their fiduciary responsibility. But stakeholder capitalism doesn't say that. Stakeholder capitalism says uh, should not be run to increase value to shareholders only, but to serve all stakeholders. So stakeholders are people who have skin in the game, but not necessarily are the ones funding it. So they don't necessarily own it, but they have skin in the game. And so the stakeholders include government agencies, activists, and non-governmental organizations. So it may be that when you're investing your money with BlackRock, BlackRock says, look, we want to invest in companies that are going to make money for the shareholders, but we're also going to invest in companies that make the Sierra Club happy. So we're going to not invest in these uh, oil companies, but we're going to invest in these electric car companies. And that's a whole different ball of wax when you start talking about who's investing in electric car companies and why. He said that the big three wield enormous influence when it comes to executive pay. According to one study, listen to this, a shocking 73% of standard and poor 500 companies now tie executive compensation to ESG measures. If a CEO doesn't weigh in on the latest social issue quickly enough, his or her bonus will, could be in jeopardy. So that explains a lot of why you see this woke capitalism. And you wonder what, and I always wonder, what, what the hell does BlackRock? Is Larry Fink just got a, you know, he's just, he's just a leftist. And well, he's a, he may be a leftist or he may not be, but what he's most likely is he's a pragmatist. And he knows if these people are paying him money, these big pension funds are paying him money. He's got to play ball. And so they do things like this. This is in the campusreform.org. University of Maryland announced an exciting new selection of LGBT women, gender, and sexuality studies courses for the upcoming fall semester. So here we go. University of Maryland students have the option to enroll in classes such as LGBT 310, transgender studies, LGBT 350, LGBT people and communications, LGBT 448L, Black Queer Studies, WGSS 105, Introduction to Disability Studies, WGSS 263, Intro to Black Women's Studies, WGSS 319P, Pleasure, Intimacy, and Violence, WGSS 488G, Seminar, Senior Seminar in Transnational Feminisms. Uh, so these courses are being offered by the Harriet Tubman Department of Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies. According to its website, the program's explore an interdisciplinary field of inquiry analyzing structures of power especially as they are grounded in gender race sexuality ethnicity nationality ability and other inequalities as they configure historical and contemporary struggles for social change and it says here that the uh the studies here it says lgbt 448l black queer studies will center blackness to mediate upon the overlapping and interwoven categories of race, gender, and sexuality, with the goal of decoupling whiteness from LGBTQ plus studies and decoupling heterosexuality from black studies. Students will also consider, quote, how black queer liberation can and has provided tools and a guide for our collective liberation. Now, I don't know what you do with that type of degree. Um, I don't know if it's something that uh, you know, you, you, you can maybe get a job with, uh, 
or if it's just something where you just have to perpetually go to more and more school and get uh, get educated into becoming basically a teacher of these studies. But this one here is called um, this is called WGSS 319P Pleasure, Intimacy, and Violence. It's for students to learn to speak of and imagine sex in an environment that values nonviolence and respect for all bodies and genders. Well, that sounds, that sounds nice. What else do we have here? Uh, oh, here we go. A warning for the course reads, please note that this course includes practicing respectful and open discussion of sex, sexual practices, and sexual histories in a candid and explicit ways, which includes topics like rape and sexual assault, masturbation, fantasy, teen sex, and non-human sex. University of Maryland. If you're sending your children to University of Maryland and they study this stuff, uh, don't be surprised if they never move out of your house. Uh, this is a this is back to Biden. This is from the Daily Mail. I'm sorry. This is from American Lookout, and it says here, uh, American Lookout. It says, it says Donald Trump is being indicted in the classified documents case. Uh, Trump blasted the indictment, calling it election interference. It says Daily Mail reported his former president is set. Trump is set for an indictment of his handling of classified documents. A federal investigation of Joe Biden's own handling of classified documents is not close to being finished. So Joe Biden has his own classified documents problem. Just a day after the November 8 midterm elections, the Justice Department quietly opened an investigation to understand whether classified information had been mishandled in violation of federal law over Biden's alleged misdeeds. This was after the president's personal lawyers, okay, found a small number of classified documents, reportedly 10, at Penn Biden, a Washington, uh, D.C. think tank where Biden previously held an office, which also took some Chinese money. Biden and federal officials have located, located documents at Penn Biden and at his Willington home and have searched his Delaware house after the initial discovery before the November elections. Biden has not been interviewed yet. NBC reported Biden is yet to be interviewed, but they are suggesting that the investigation is not yet nearing a close. Interviewing the person at the center of investigation, it takes, if such a step takes place, is typically among the final actions before a probe is complete. Biden's aides have anticipated for months that he would provide an interview to the special counsel if asked, and they have discussed what form it might take in the context of, in the, in the context of what past presidents have done. A person familiar with the discussion says the Biden team believes that when it comes to an interview, there's no way around it. So Biden has not been interviewed yet. Uh, Donald Trump has been indicted. And they're both dealing with classified documents. Donald Trump's were locked away in a secure area guarded by Secret Service. The whole area is guarded by Secret Service because the president lives there. It's his residence. Biden's were in his damn garage and in this Penn Biden Center where he had this quote-unquote think tank. If they do get around to interviewing Biden... What's the chances that he's going to be able to say, I don't recall and, and be truthful about it. I mean, they can interview him about what he ate for breakfast yesterday. And he could say, I don't recall and be truthful about it. Uh, what else is there? This is a quick thing from Gavin Newsom. Just the news. Gavin Newsom promotes proposes 28th amendment to restrict gun rights. Says so the state of California has most of its, uh, has most of the proposed restrictions already in place. So this is what this is what Gavin Newsom wants for the rest of the country. 
California Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom on Thursday said he's proposing the 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which will restrict gun rights. The proposed amendment would raise the minimum age to purchase firearms to 21. I don't know what the point of that is. Implement universal background checks. I think that's already done. Uh, create what Newsom calls a, quote, reasonable waiting period for gun purchases. This is this is their big thing. There's waiting periods. Because, you see, when you and I go purchase a gun, you know what we're thinking about? According to Gavin Newsom, we may be thinking about, I'm going to purchase this gun. I'm going to shoot that son of a bitch. I'm going to kill him. And uh, I'm going to kill him. And you go to get the gun and they say, okay, your waiting period is now three days. And so you say, all right, all right. So you go home and you're like, I'm going to kill that son of a bitch on day one. Day two, you start watching TikTok. You're like, oh, that's funny. Day three comes around. They call you and say, okay, your gun's ready for pickup. And you're like, you know what? I don't think I want to kill that person anymore. That's what the waiting period's for. Ban civilians from buying so-called, quote, assault weapons. That's basically means nothing. According to the governor's announcement on Twitter, the state of California already has most of these laws in place, with the exception being the age restrictions. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, in California, it has its, has its own problems with mass shootings, as we know. Several mass shootings have taken place there recently. This gets back to this idea that there's supposedly some type of law that is out there that if we just passed it, that criminals would finally, you know, stop doing what they do. You know, we, we've talked about John Lott and how he's done studies that said that most violent crime takes place in cities. Most violent crime takes place in cities. Most of the crime that takes place in these cities is done by people who should not own guns, done by people who are repeat criminals, and done despite the fact that there are laws against having handguns in most of these cases because the gun laws are very restrictive in cities. But yet, well, here we are. We always come back to this because the reason is, is that, I don't know. I don't guess people don't learn or people don't listen or people don't understand. I think they just go with what, what people tell them. And the, the, the thing is, is that Gavin Newsom gets on TV with his his hair and his, his little rough, you know, something's wrong with his voice. And he starts talking about how they're going to, you know, do reasonable waiting periods and ban assault weapons. And all these things that people, I guess, they just fall in line and they think, well, maybe that's that's what we need. There needs to be some type of understanding amongst the general public that criminals don't obey laws. Criminals don't care if it needs to be 21 years old to have a handgun. That they can get it otherwise. They don't have to buy it. They can steal it. That's why they're criminals. That's why they do things. You know, if you were to read this, you would think that most most crime is done by people who go to the gun store and buy a gun lawfully and then go home and, uh, you know, just start shooting people up. That's not how most people do things. Now, there are some people that may go collect guns and buy them, like this uh, this transgender person that in Nashville that shot up these children. Apparently, she was collecting guns for a long time, and her parents never knew. And her parents were uh, anti-gun zealots, apparently. But... Um, I think when it gets down to it, what the left really would like and what they won't, don't want to say is they should oppose the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. And if they were being intellectually honest, what the 28th Amendment would say to the Constitution is to say, the 20, this is the 28th Amendment, and the 28th Amendment repeals the Second Amendment, except in cases of where you're allowed to hunt if you go to a state-regulated uh, facility where your guns are kept. You can check them out for a period of time 
after you do a certain amount of uh, you know paperwork and there's an, and there's enough government agencies involved to clear you to own a gun to go shoot the go shoot your your weapon hunting and then you must return it. That's what they would like. Or they would say, look, you're allowed to use your gun to go shoot sporting clays. Again, if you get if you go to a government run facility that will register you and, and then keep your gun on lock and key, and then you can go check it out, and then you can shoot your sporting clays and then return it to the uh, the, the state operated facility, and off you go. That's what they like because that's the way they do it in other countries. And of course, the way they do it in other countries is always the best way when you talk to people about guns because they always say, well, there's no mass shootings in other countries. Or they don't have as many as we have here. And then the ipso facto, the reason why is because there's no guns. But they don't mention the fact that there's other violent crime. You know, there's this crime that this uh, person did, this Syrian uh, migrant, quote unquote, that was in France, stabbed these children in broad daylight, mind you. And the stabbings happen all the time in London. You know, we don't report on it here because we don't report on anything to do with our own country, much less other countries. And in, in, uh, United, um, United States media doesn't report on what happens in our country, much less in other countries. Uh, anything that's, you know, useful, at least, that is. But, um, but yeah, the, the, this idea that we can have these slowly, slowly, slowly chip away. What they really need to be is intellectually honest and say, look, we just need to ban all guns and have that discussion. You know? But they don't want to have that discussion because that seems that seems drastic. And what they like to do is tyrann, tyrannical people. Uh, usually the best way to impose tyranny is slowly. You slowly do it unless you're going to have like a coup. And then you can just take over. This is Tucker Carlson. He was on his new Twitter show. And it's called Tucker on Twitter. I want to play a part of it. This is him talking about. They just blew up this dam in Ukraine, and the dam flooded areas of Ukraine that are controlled by the Russians, apparently, including Crimea. Crimea, and uh, this was done purportedly by Vladimir Putin. And uh, this is a Tucker Carlson's take on it. No one who's paid to cover these things seemed to entertain even the possibility it could have been the Ukrainians who did it. No chance of that. Ukraine, as you may have heard, is led by a man called Zelensky. And we can say for a dead certain fact that he was not involved. He couldn't have been. Zelensky is too decent for terrorism. Now, you see him on television, and it's true you might form a different impression. Sweaty and rat-like, a comedian turned oligarch, a persecutor of Christians, a friend of BlackRock. But don't believe your own eyes. Actually, Mr. Zelensky is a very good man. The best, really. As George W. Bush once noted, he is our generation's Winston Churchill. Of all the people in the world, our shifty, dead-eyed Ukrainian friend in the tracksuit is uniquely incapable of blowing up a dam. He's literally a living saint, a man in whom there is no sin. That's why Lindsey Graham is so attracted to him. They're just two good people, hanging out together and being good. And like all good people, when they meet in person, they spend a lot of time talking about killing people and laughing like friends do. That was uh, when Lindsey Graham went over there, they... He said that the money that they spent was the best money. They, or, or what did he say? There's a lot of dead Russians, and then Lindsey Graham says the best money we've ever spent. And then he laughed. He's a Lindsey Graham is a really a uh, kind of a distasteful guy. He's he's on every side of every issue. 
that you could be on if you're a Republican. And then at the end of the day, all he cares about is a lot of what he cares about is war. And uh, he would like right now, if it was up to him, I think there would be uh, American troops in Ukraine right now being slaughtered by Russians and um, fighting for Ukraine. And But Tucker's right about this, uh, this sweaty guy in the tracksuit, Zelensky. It's just strange, isn't it, how we were supposed to universally accept that Zelensky was, like he said, George W. Bush said, our modern-day Winston Churchill. And Zelensky just has more and more and more money from us, and he needs more and more and more money, but we're never supposed to ask, what's been happened? What's happened to this money? But we're just told every time. It's just like from 1984, you know, Eurasia is winning. East Asia's winning. We're at war with East Asia. Now we're at war with Eurasia. Uh, you know, we are just supposed to follow this war, uh, bated breath, and keep sending money. And where's the money going? We have no idea. I I would expect that if Joe Biden gets elected, that this war will continue through the presidency of uh, Joe Biden until the next you know president comes. And then if it's person like Nikki Haley's elected, which won't happen. You know, Nikki Haley has gone on record along with other establishment Republicans and saying that we must win this war. We must win this war. Uh, we meaning Americans must win this war, meaning the Ukraine war with Russia. How? I don't know. By paying and paying and paying and paying. That's what they say. Now we have to just keep paying. Pretty soon it will be, we have to be there because paying wasn't effective enough and we have to be fighting the war. And it wasn't very long after the Afghanistan war ended when we left Afghanistan. Uh, when we were run out of Afghanistan is a better, better way of saying it. When Joe Biden had us uh, leaving Afghanistan with our tail between our legs. Uh, when that ended, the uh, contractors stopped making money off Afghanistan. And it wasn't very short after that that the Ukraine war started. And it used to be that the left Democrats, liberals used to say, well, there's no war, for, no oil, oil for money or what they say, blood. There's no they said that we don't want to have war for money and the oil. They're using the oil as a reason to get money and we're making war for for oil for money. But now we don't have to worry about it because, you see, Zelensky, as as Tucker said, is he's pure with his tracksuit and his uh, sweaty brow. And his constant need for money, hands out. He he's he is the he's the best of us. And if we just give more and more and more, and what we cannot do is ever doubt doubt anything to do with the veracity of his claims that he is pure. And we have to assume that Ukraine, which heretofore was one of the most corrupt countries in the uh, European continent, is no longer corrupt. Now with Zelensky in charge. It is it's 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 on the up and up. All the money we've sent is going towards uh, nurses, doctors, clean water, missiles and uh, paying troops. And we're going to we're going to just stick around long enough. We're going to beat the Russians back and we're going to win this war. And that's what we're supposed to believe. And you're not allowed to think otherwise. So it's, it's, it's concerning to me because of the announced uh, people for the GOP, the only person who's really against it besides Donald Trump is Ron DeSantis. I think, um, anybody else, Mike Pence is totally for the war. Uh, Nikki Haley said that, you know, we have to keep spending the money 
And uh, all these people are for for more and more war. This war is going to this war, if it falls into the wrong hands, and it may be in the wrong hands already with Joe Biden. It's just a matter of time before they're going to try to put Americans on the ground in Ukraine and they're going to lead to more deaths. And if we haven't learned enough about these foreign entanglements with the Afghanistan 20 year war, the Iraq war, if we haven't learned that in the end of the, at the end of the time, it's not worth American lives. I don't know what else it would take because the, the Afghanistan situation now is basically 20 years invested people, people's lives invested money invested all of the different people who's still living, but still living with disabilities and uh, the, the, the sequelae of war, whether it be PTSD or injuries or what have you. And yet if you look at Afghanistan now, it is almost completely identical to where it was before we ever set foot in Afghanistan after 9-11. And that is a terrible tragedy. And if we look at that now in Ukraine, there is a very good chance that's what's going to happen in Ukraine if we put troops on the ground there. We've already wasted money there. And like I said, if we pulled out today, the situation in Ukraine would look almost as, uh, identical to where, when it was before we ever did anything when uh, when Putin first went into Ukraine. You know, the reason for Ukraine and Russia fighting each other is is a long history of that. Uh, you know, we've talked about it before. Uh, the United States was involved in overturning an election and helping to helping to uh, remove someone who was elected uh, through a coup, and then later on uh, put Zelensky in power, or helped to get Zelensky put in power, and so we've we've been. You know, we've been getting involved in that, and it's to our own detriment that we're involved in all these foreign theaters for the most part. And uh, I don't know if there's going to be an end in sight, because like I said, unless Donald Trump gets elected, which is looking less and less likely every day, or if Ron DeSantis gets in, which possibly could happen, uh, I don't know. I don't see an end to the war in Ukraine, and I don't see an end to the money going to Ukraine and the slow walk towards uh, troops on the ground for the United States and Ukraine. Certainly if Nikki Haley got in office with the way she has shown herself to be willing to bend to the winds of anything, it would not take very much to get her to uh, agree to put troops on the ground in Ukraine or, or even Mike Pence. Mike Pence has got zero chance. Nikki Haley has zero chance. The only people who have a chance of winning this election, I'm sorry, uh, winning the nomination, I think is Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis uh, and possibly, you know, if there's some somebody who emerges early on in a primary like Vivek Ramaswamy, maybe gain some traction or something like that, someone completely out of the blue. But otherwise, it's going to come down to Trump and DeSantis. If it comes down to Trump versus Biden, there's a very good chance that Trump will lose. The reason why is because Trump has alienated so much of his base now, uh, except for his hardcore MAGA base, which will stick with him no matter what. But he's alienated so much of the uh, regular conservative base with his attacks on Ron DeSantis and conservatism, if you think about it, uh, when he's attacking Ron DeSantis for his positions on trying to rein in entitlement spending and trying to try to figure out how to get us out of the Ponzi schemes that are Medicare and Social Security. Donald Trump's attacked him for that. 
And Donald Trump's attacked uh, DeSantis for being too rough with abortion and things of that nature. But anyway, I don't think that Trump has done himself any favors by doing that because the people who vote for Trump now or voted for Trump before are still going to vote for him for the most part. But those outliers, those people who said, well, I didn't really like Trump, but I'm going to vote for him because I know Biden's a bad guy. They're not going to be so likely to get out of their house and go vote that day. And we know, like I said before, that the Democrats know how to sew up elections with swing states via swing districts and getting enough votes in these districts through various different means, ballot harvesting, what have you. And uh, unless you're going to be able to beat Biden with a substantial margin, and I would say substantial meaning five points or more, I don't think that you'll be able to overcome their ability to swing these elections in the swing states through the swing districts. If it's a two-point election, which is it would, which was what it would be if Trump and Biden got back in back into it, it would be a two-point election most likely nationally, which doesn't doesn't matter. National vote doesn't matter, as I know. But I'm saying if it's a close election, it's going to come down to swing states, and these swing states. If it's two points, the Democrats know how to get the votes necessary. They'll shut it down. It'll be just like last time. Two o'clock in the morning, there's going to be a pipe burst somewhere. Or two o'clock in the morning, they're going to say, we need to take a break. We're too tired. And then they're going to shut it down. Six o'clock in the morning, they're going to start back up. And they say, look, we found 400,000 ballots. Now, now Biden's up in Wisconsin. Now Biden's up in Illinois. Now Biden's up in Pennsylvania. Now Biden's up in Georgia. Now Biden's up in Arizona. It's going to be the same thing as it was before. The only way you can beat Biden this time, I think, as a GOP candidate, is to beat him overwhelmingly, so much so that they cannot swing these counties and swing these districts enough to get the states in their column. And that would take someone beating Biden by about five points or more. And I don't think that Trump can do it because he's only got 47% of the vote and then 46% of the vote. He's not going to get higher than that. I think the only person that can do that on the GOP side, I think, is DeSantis. Uh, Whether or not DeSantis wins the primary is another question. What may happen is DeSantis loses to Trump. Trump loses to Biden. Here we go. But we'll see. I don't want Biden to win again, obviously, but that's the way I kind of see things going. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. Go to drtommyshow.com slash pod or drtommy.com slash podcast for more Dr. Tommy show. Uh, and then also uh, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend because we really appreciate that. So have a good week. And like I said, out next week in Las Vegas and Grand Canyon, but we'll see you the following week. So have a good one until next time. Bye-bye.